Madam Chair, we are ready to begin. Thank you, Madam Chair. Public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Each member of the public will be allowed three minutes to speak. For those attending in person, opportunities to speak during the public comment period will be made available here in room 400 City Hall. For those attending remotely, public comment period can also be provided via phone call by calling 1-415-655-0001. Again, the phone number is one 415 Six five five zero 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 one. Access code is two five nine one zero three seven three zero four six. Again, access code is two five nine one zero three seven three zero four six. Followed by the pound sign. Then press pound again to join as an attendee. When your interest, when your item of interest comes up, press star three to raise your hand to be added to the public comment line. Public comment is also available via the WebEx client application. Use the WebEx link on the agenda to connect and press the raised hand button to be added to the public comment line. For detailed instructions on how to interact with telephone system or WebEx client, please refer to the public comment section on, of this agenda document for this meeting. Public comment may also be submitted in writing and will be shared with the commission after this meeting has concluded and will be included as part of the official meeting file. Written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Once again, written comments should be sent to ethics.commission at sfgov.org. Member members of the public who attend commission meetings, including remote attendance, are also expected to behave responsibly and respectfully. During public comment, please address your comments to the commission as a whole and not to individual members. Persons who engage in name calling, shouting, interruptions, or other distracting behavior may be excluded from participation. The following behaviors or activities are strictly prohibited during remote participation. Applause or vocal expression of support or opposition, signs regardless of content or message, profanity, threats of physical aggression. The, the prohibition of signs does not apply to clothing, which includes signage pinned to clothing, messages displayed on clothing, pins, hats, or buttons. This provision supplements rules and policies adopted by City Hall, the Sheriff's Office, or the Board of Supervisors related to the decorum, prohibited conduct or activities, noise, etc., and is not meant to be exhaustive. Thank you, Madam Chair. Commissioners, please verbally indicate your presence by saying A, I, after your name is called. Commissioner Flores Fang? Aye. Commissioner Finlev? Aye. Chair Lee? Aye. Commissioner Salahi? Aye. Chair Lee, with four members present and accounted for, you have a quorum.
Thank you, Chair Lee. Yes, uh, it's a pleasure to be here and a privilege to be here in this uh, important role on the Ethics Commission. Um, I'm, my background is in plaintiff's law uh, on behalf of people challenging corporate and government misconduct. And I hope to bring some of those experiences as well as my prior experiences at civil rights organizations uh, to this role in vindicating the public interest in good governance, avoiding conflicts of interest, uh, following campaign finance laws, et cetera. So thank you, Chair Lee. that during his tenure with this commission, he has added very valuable insights with his experience, with his uh, thoughtful uh, recommendations, and, and uh, diligent working with this commission as well as his staff. His presence will be missed, but we wish him really well uh, with his uh, other endeavors. Um, also, um, uh, regret to report that Commissioner uh, Larry Bush's term uh, has completed, and uh, Larry is Mr. Ethics. Um, he uh, was involved uh, intimately with the creation of this commission, and throughout the last uh, three decades, um, Larry has uh, continued his involvement uh, as member of the uh, public and select committees to really work to make sure that uh, San Francisco has an ethical, transparent, and uh, accountable government serving its uh, residents. Though he is no longer uh, serving with us as a colleague, but I have no doubt that we will continue to uh, work with him, um, uh, to hear from him on ways to uh, improve and strengthen uh, this commission's uh, mission and vision. So we also wish Larry well, and I look forward to seeing him um, at future meetings. Also for, uh, for members of the public, agenda item number eight uh, will not be heard today uh, because the waiver request has been withdrawn. Also agenda item number nine will be continued to the July meeting. So for those of you who uh, want to participate in these two items, uh, they will not be on today's uh, meeting agenda. Let's go to agenda item number two, which is general public comment not appearing on today's agenda. Do we have anyone who wishes to speak in the audience? I see none. Can you check on the remote Madam, audience, please? Yes, Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Great, can you hear me now? Yes. 
Excellent. Uh, David Pilpel, good morning. Um, so just a uh, comment, not on any particular agenda item, but about the agenda uh, practices uh, of the uh, commission. Uh, in my opinion, the agendas themselves should include not just the information that's there now, but for uh, settlements and stipulations. Uh, for example, uh, item seven uh, today, uh, I believe the agenda could and I believe should include a summary of the material uh, terms for proposed uh, settlements and stipulations um, and for uh, items such as uh, waiver of post-employment restrictions, for example, items eight and nine on your agenda uh, today, I believe a summary of the staff recommendation whether to grant, deny, or grant with conditions um, such uh, waiver requests, um, again, should also be included on the agenda um, in connection with that item. And that idea of a summary of the staff recommendation may apply to other types of matters before you. In my opinion, the public, uh, and for that matter, members of the commission or others, um, shouldn't have to wade through uh, staff reports, and in particular, staff reports that then have an attachment to get to the end to get this uh, important uh, information. It has nothing to do with the uh, content or the uh, merits of uh, any um, proposed uh, settlement stipulation waiver request or any other matter, just that the uh, information I think should be readily available uh, on the agenda um, in, in connection with the item should be very upfront. Um, those are my thoughts on agendas. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, public comment for agenda number two is closed. Now let's go to consent calendar. Um, for items three, four, five, six, and seven. As noted on the agenda, there will be no separate discussions on the consent calendar item unless a request is made by a member of the commission or a member of the public in which event the matter shall be removed from the consent calendar and considered as a separate item. Colleagues, uh, anyone wish to discuss any item on it? Uh, Chair Lee, can I request that item seven be added to the regular calendar? Sure, okay. So agenda item number seven is removed from the consent calendar. Any other items? I have a question, maybe this is for Deputy City Attorney, Mr. Rusi, or, um, or anyone. Can I make general comments about items on the consent calendar without turning it into a separate item that requires separate public comment? Commissioner, I think if you wanted to comment, on, are you saying you wanted to comment on a specific item or just sort of the calendar? A specific in item general? in the consent calendar, but not to delay proceedings and make a. I, I think it would need to be severed okay. if you talk about it. That's so fine. Be separate no public need. comment on it. Okay. Thank you. Madam Chair, it looks like we have one caller in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Uh, great, David Pilpel again. Um, so on the consent calendar, I just wanted to highlight 
uh, particular item in the acting executive director's uh, report on item five. So uh, the question is, should I make comments about that now or should I have that item be uh, pulled and discussed uh, separately? I don't know what your preference is at this point. It's up to the chair whether uh, Mr. Pilpel can give a comment on that item right now if he wishes. Okay, uh, thanks very much. Um, so on that, I appreciate the uh, acting, acting executive director's report, and I just wanted to call attention uh, publicly to the uh, budget uh, concerns uh, that are raised in that report, and in particular the uh, chair's uh, statement that was uh, issued on uh, Monday. Um, I think it's a, a very uh, comprehensive and, and careful uh, explanation of the uh, department's uh, budget uh, priorities and ability to deliver uh, services in the next uh, two years uh, with the uh, proposed uh, cuts and the impacts uh, therefrom. Um, so I, I don't know if you want to talk about that today, but I, I hope that there's some more um, attention uh, given to that. And I don't know if this was also uh, turned into a letter to the Board of Supervisors, but uh, some additional communications on this I think would be helpful and hopefully some of these uh, concerns will be addressed in addbacks uh, by the Board of Supervisors because in the event that the budget is approved uh, as recommended, I think it's going to uh, absolutely make it uh, difficult to impossible uh, for the Commission and the staff to uh, deliver uh, both the mandated uh, programs and services under the charter and anything uh, above and beyond that that's uh, 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 useful uh, to the public. So um, I just wanted to call attention to the budget and the proposed cuts. Thanks very much for listening. Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. So moved. Chair Lee, uh, if you can speak up a little bit on the mic. Thank you. Okay. So we have a uh, motion and second it to approve consent items uh, three, four, five, and six. Roll call, please. Commissioner Flores Fang. Aye. Commissioner Finlib. Aye. Chair Lee. Aye. Commissioner Salahi. I, with the caveat, I was not at the May 5th meeting, so perhaps I should abstain from that, that vote. Okay. Then I. Yeah. All right. Well, with four votes in, uh, in the affirmative, it is approved unanimously. Thank you. 
Thank you, Charlie. Uh, for the record, Pat Ford, Director of Enforcement. Uh, and I also, I think uh, we have remotely Zach D'Amico, who is the investigator that worked on this case. Um, just in case there are questions that I can't answer, he has a little bit more detailed uh, information about this. But yeah, glad to answer any questions you might have. Thank you very much. Uh, part of this is, is uh, it's my first stipulation, so there are some questions that I might ask that maybe are obvious to other folks on, on the commission, but I appreciate your patience and the helpful write-up. Um, one of the background questions I had uh, pertains to some of the mitigating factors identified. Um, it, it's noted in the background report that um, the committee was not active from January 2017 to February 2018. I was curious if there was activity in the earlier period from April 2016 when it was apparently formed to uh, through the end of 2016. Um, and th the reason I ask is just that the lack of prior violations was identified as a mitigating factor that was taken into consideration, and, and um, I, I wonder if, if there was not actually prior activity prior to these violations, then maybe that, that factor is neutral or not, so, not such a significant one to, to consider in the mitigation section. Sure. Um, it's always a little tricky with stipulations because we do have to kind of stay within the scope of what's here only because these are facts that we've agreed to mm -hmm. um, with the respondent. Um, this case is a little different because this case actually did go through the probable cause process. The commission has already found probable cause. So the case was already public before this. Mm -hmm. um, but there, as far as I know, there weren't any uh, violations that were found uh, previously. If, if there were and if they were within the applicable statute of limitations, we would have included those. Okay. Thank you. Um, I have an additional question, if that's okay, about uh, one of the other mitigating factors is that the committee had contended that the redesignations in the case were not based on any intent to conceal, deceive, or mislead. Um, and it looks like in the summary, the, the reclassifications didn't happen just once. It was several times in the course of less than a year. Um, I was curious if the uh, department staff and investigators had a view on whether that was a, a credible contention by the committee or whether there was some other plausible explanation for numerous reclassifications. Yeah, again, that one's a little tough um, because in this uh, agreement, the way that we are describing this is that it was a pattern. Um, and that's just apparent on the face of the forms that this committee filed. Um, so I think that's, that's pretty clear. It was something that happened multiple times. Um, the reclassifications themselves were certainly uh, intentional I and mean, the committee intended to reclassify they had to file a form to do it this wasn't something that just happened on its own by operation of law they proactively redesignated and they did it multiple times uh, so we kind of stopped there in this stipulation we did not go further um, to say that it was uh, a willful uh, in the sense they intended to do it in a way that was unlawful um, so that's not what's reflected here okay Just can I jump in just on that same point? I'm glad Commissioner Salahi raised it because all those series of weird classifications triggered the same kind of thought for me, as I'm sure it did for the staff, undoubtedly. Um, but I do appreciate that the information was disclosed, albeit in the wrong place. So I think that's a presumably why the staff kind of accredited the indication that it was not intended to deceive. But I also recognize that it's important that material be disclosed in the right place. And I think the penalty reflects that. Um, it's not a zero-dollar penalty, which the respondents could have argued was appropriate, given that the information was, in fact, disclosed in the wrong place. 
So I think this strikes the right balance between a significant penalty, penalty while recognizing that the sums were, in fact, disclosed in the wrong place. And it was helpful that there was a very similar case in another jurisdiction we were able to look to, and that's the balance they struck. Um, when we worked that out in this case, we felt like that was also appropriate here. Thank you. I have a question. Um, how would the members of the public know that the report has been amended to reflect uh, uh, non-reporting uh, during that period? I mean, do we, uh, do we have a special section to say these are the amended reports so that people can go in to take a look? Otherwise, people would never know about these stipulations or any other um, updated information, uh, even so though it was after the fact, right? I mean, after the election. So, in this case, the respondents uh, were not in a situation where they needed to go back and amend the forms. Um, the reason is that the forms that they didn't file with the Ethics Commission were 24-hour reports. The reports that are due within 24 hours of the activity, and the purpose is to give voters real-time information during the election period of what's happening and to give them that information before the 460s, the campaign statements are due. So the respondent committee did file their 460s. Uh, so that information came out at the time when the 460s came out. It's not as prompt as when it should have been um, disclosed here at the Ethics Commission, which was within 24 hours. Uh, but it, it was on the record, so to speak, uh, meaning that at this point in time, uh, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for them to go back and file the 497s. The time when those were useful has passed. The committee has filed its 460s. The information about its finances is on the record. You can go back and see that um, for historical purposes. It wouldn't add to that body of information to have them also go back and file the 497s. So this is different from a situation where a committee might, well, and I, I should say with a the caveat, there's one form here where they did make a mistake on the 460, uh, but that's a really small part of this case. Most of this case is about 497s. Uh, in a case where it was mostly about 460s, like where a committee never filed them or they omitted a lot of information, as part of the stipulation, we would ask the committee to go back and amend. Same thing with a Form 700 case. If you had an officer or employee who hadn't filed or had omitted a lot of interests, as part of uh, the stipulation, we want them to correct the record and go back and file. Uh, but that's not really the case in, in this case, just because it only concerns the 497s. Okay, uh, any other questions or comments? Just, just one other observation. That issue of the kind of intent, I think, is so important that I assume in this case and other cases, that is something staff probes uh, very closely and to the extent that there were indications that there was, um, I don't want to say scienter because that's a, not a useful term, intent to deceive, then you'd have a different situation. Uh, so I'm, I guess, just reflecting what I assume is current practice and going forward, I think is an important issue. It, it absolutely is. Um, and I, th I think you might remember with a, a recent case regarding Form 700 that we did argue an intent to conceal, um, and that was the basis for tolling the statute of limitations on that case. Right. Um, so even though the conduct in that case had taken place 10 years ago, uh, we said that the omission of the interest was intentional and therefore the applicable statute was told. Um, so we definitely do check for that uh, and, and investigate for that. And, and I assume this is a first offense for both of the 
for the respondents in, in this case. That's correct. And usually, if they are repeat offenders, it would be reflected. Absolutely. Yep. Okay. That's one of the penalty factors in the enforcement regulations, and we always look at that. We go back through our records. Uh, we try to find if there's ever been a case involving any of the respondents. Uh, we'll also look back um, at other violations that may have happened that weren't caught previously. We'll try and do not a, a full review of everything they've ever done, but reasonably we will look back to see, you know, did they, did they comply with the law otherwise? Um, and I think it's worth pointing out also that this case arose out of an audit that was conducted by the Ethics Commission's Audit Division. Um, so first I want to recognize that, that this is like an interdivisional project, um, and it's good to see that enforcement matters do arise out of audits getting done, um, but also to point out that the audit did do uh, a comprehensive review of this committee, and this was one of the findings. So they were looking at uh, a broad array of things, that, as they always do with, with their audits. I have one more question, which I think is more of a general question. It has to do with how you go about identifying comparators to figure out what a proportional um, uh, penalty is. Is there a, a database that's easily accessible by members of the public or others to find those kinds of cases, or would you have to go back through meeting agendas and the like to, to identify those? Um, I will tell you it's not like um, court decisions. Um, mm. They're not as easily accessible if you have um, something like Lexis or, or Westlaw. Mm -hmm. um, every commission does it a little differently. Uh, in large part, you do have to go to each commission's website mm -hmm. um, and search through them. Um, each commission presents that information a little bit differently. Mm -hmm. um, I think we do it fairly well. We have a, a spreadsheet. Uh, in data SF that you can go and search. So you can search by the respondent's name. It's, it's pretty pretty easy, um, and most commissions do a decent job of it. So it's it's not terrible, but it's not like um, Westlaw where you can go and punch it in and see like every jurisdiction. Um, so it's, yeah, there's a little bit of work involved. Thank you. Just on that point, I think, if you're asking about the commission's own decisions, those are pretty easily findable yep. on the website, right? But I think you're saying outside jurisdictions, there's no kind of joint database. Exactly. And we approach it just like you would with, you know, civil litigation. We look at the actual jurisdictions. We look at our previous enforcement matters first, mm -hmm. um, take that into account. Then we expand it to look at other jurisdictions for persuasive authority. So it's not, not as binding on the commission as what they have to do, but it can at least inform a little bit how others have done it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And thanks for being so thorough. I mean, breaking yeah. that down sounds like a lot of work. So I think... It, it is, it, yeah, the investigators put a lot of time into doing this, um, but it does really help. I think it helps with the respondents, too, to help them understand uh, the nature of the case, and we hope that it's helpful for you as well. Thanks for flagging that this was an audit case. I think it's so crucial that we can leverage those internal resources and experts, um, so thanks to the folks who, who made that happen. I think it's a great sign of the importance of that kind of inter-agency cooperation. Yep, exactly. And we want to see a lot more of these kinds of cases moving forward, for sure. And we will. Um, if there's no other comments, let's go to public comments specifically on agenda item number seven. Please stand by, Madam Chair, as we check for callers in the queue. Madam Chair, it looks like we have no callers in the queue. Okay, public comment for item seven is closed. Do I have a motion to adopt so item seven? <laughs> I'll move. Okay. I'll so second. eager to go that I jump out of the gate. I'll second. Um, do we have uh, unanimous consent on this item? Okay. It's passed. Let's go.
go to agenda item number 10, which is presentation <coughs> and discussion of the Ethics at Work program implementation. Good morning, commissioners, and thank you uh, for your time and interest. Uh, my name is Peter Lauterborn, and I'm uh, fortunate to be, have been selected to be the Ethics at Work program manager um, and able to pull together an amazing team uh, of uh, Aaron Fisher, Mary Brune, and Ana de Carlitos, who's here today. Um, and uh, the work that we're doing is reflective of a lot of input from the rest of the agency, as well as our uh, deputy state attorney, Brad Rusi, and, and his crew. So excited to share uh, what we've been up to. Uh, the commission has consistently expressed a lot of interest in this work uh, and advocating for its continuation, which we're very grateful for and happy to share the fruits of that work with us. Uh, could you put on our PowerPoint, please? There it is, okay. Uh, so briefly, we're gonna go through the, uh, the, our, our, the, con the content that we're creating, how we're organizing the subject matter, our efforts around departmental outreach, and then what is on the immediate horizon for the program. So for content creation, we are taking a uh, broad multimedia approach. We know that people learn things differently. People are coming to conversations with different levels of work. Ethics at Work is designed to be a proactive education program that we're reaching out to people before they might think that they need the information, as well as making repositories where people can seek out that information when they need it. That means that people will sometimes be very familiar with some items, or it'll be completely brand new to them, even if they've served for a while. Or how does it serve people who have been uh, recently hired or changed positions in the city? So we're trying to make content that will um, work across different media and at those different levels. So you can see we have a, a wide range of uh, you know, introductory one-pagers, videos that are both either short introductions or longer form content, position-specific guides, uh, e-learning modules, and then a library that will be, uh, is, is under production for the website where people will be able to access that information as they need to. The subject matter is, uh, Broad, it, we're, we're aiming to cover most things that the commission will look at. Um, and we're trying to organize it both for uh, subject-specific content as well as position-specific content. And the reason for this is sometimes people will know what they're looking for. I fill out a Form 700. I need to learn more about the Form 700. I've been given a gift. I know there are gift rules. I need to learn more about gift rules. There are others, though, who might not necessarily know that issues apply to them. Uh, for example, somebody might know that they're a Form 700 filer, but they might not know how that impacts uh, their responsibilities about soliciting behest of payments. Uh, so we're trying to make materials that are both, again, subject matter specific, but also relevant to the role somebody might have. Uh, what's important for somebody who's leaving their position, somebody who's in a leadership position, somebody who's engaging in contracting or permit consulting. Uh, we want to make materials that, again, might be redundant. We might be saying the same thing about gifts repeatedly across those different media, but again, making sure that it's hitting the right audiences and that it's easy for people to find based on where they're coming from. Any questions so far? No, please proceed. Want to check in before I just keep going? All right. I have one, but I'm going to hold it. I think it's. I think you're going to cover it. Okay. <laughs> um, now, uh, the other thing I wanted to cover a little bit here is departmental outreach. Originally, uh, our mandate was to create content and, and, and get it out there. 
uh, we've decided to take on reaching out to uh, each city department, and we're doing so uh, in descending order from largest to smallest based on their uh, prior fiscal year budget. Um, we're doing this, uh, first of all, to make sure that uh, people don't have to come to us, that we can go out to them. It's been a great opportunity as well to hear from departmental leadership, uh, who's been so far very responsive, uh, what their concerns are, what their interest is, and there's a lot of gratitude because there is stress around these rules. People don't typically want to uh, be on the wrong side of the rules, definitely not by accident. And so they're seeing this as an opportunity to share issues that their department had, has had challenges with, where there's insecurities, and where they're excited to get more information. Um, we're also going largest to smallest to hit the most people first, but also to find out what content will be of most value to most city employees and officers earlier. Um, there's occasional guidance we get about suggestions to reach out to other aid, uh, you know, go out of order a little bit, but our plan is to basically have an initial contact with every department by the end of this fiscal year. Um, we are following that up with custom plans that we make with the designee. What will happen is, um, actually I'll go to the next slide to describe that. Um, what happens is that we reach out to a department uh, leadership, typically the uh, you know, person serving the executive director role or, or the different names for different agencies, general manager, whatever it might be, as well as any relevant deputies or higher level leadership involved in human resources, uh, internal policies, or other relevant positions. They in turn will designate a lead. Sometimes it is the executive director, sometimes it's the person in charge of human resources for their agency or something else. Uh, we then meet with that, those representatives and talk through somewhat of what I've shared today about the kinds of materials we're making and what, that was, what those would look like, uh, what would be most relevant to them, and how we're going to disseminate it. What do we need to send to all staff? What is only going to be appropriate for a certain number of managers, but it's going to be at a higher level, like an e-learning course? And we make that plan and how we're going to handle the production, who's sending the emails, how's it getting out there, and how are we reporting that data that we collect when, that, when those messages go out there. Um, following that, we share the plan with the department again uh, to see if it's, they agree it's what we talked about, if anything new came up, and then they have the opportunity to either amend it, have ask extra questions, or approve it. And once it's approved, we just start getting to work as far as collecting those contact informations for the staff, and uh, we'll start sending those out. This is a snapshot as of uh, June 5th as to what it looked like. Um, We've done two groups, uh, kind of batches of 10-ish. Um, uh, we've had responses uh, at some level from everyone in group A, um, and only one agency hasn't had a more formal conversation with us. Uh, we just started outreach to group B, and that's going to, um, you know, we've had a couple of those conversations with departments. Uh, we're started drafting a couple of their plans. Uh, and we're expecting to have more of these conversations in the next couple of weeks. And then from there, we're going to go out and go through the rest of the city departments that are engaged. So this has been a really engaging and really exciting thing to hear what people uh, have to say. And it's an opportunity for people to hear from the Ethics Commission. Uh, you know, often they only hear from us uh, when something needs to be fixed. There's a challenge. Uh, but this is a chance to kind of break that and, and really be engaging and listen to them um, as much as we're communicating to them. That list right here, is that an order of size of department? So the top yes. ones are generally the largest, larger departments? Yes. Thanks. I'm double checking to see if like something might be slightly out of order, but I don't think so. I was just curious. Thanks. Okay. 
Um, so uh, after that, you know, what's, what's coming up next is a number of materials are going to be uh, completed. I don't need to go into detail here. You have this if you want to review it. But um, we've been waiting to have a critical mass of materials before we all put them online. We didn't want to go online with, you know, five one-pagers only. Um, and, but we have all of our design standards set up, so material production is moving quite quickly. Um, we're making um, the full suite of them, and many of these should be published in that library, the initial ones, later this month, and we will share that with the commission uh, when that comes online. So with that, I uh, wanted to keep this brief this morning, uh, but happy to answer any questions or take any feedback that you would have. <clears throat> or if we wanted to go to public comment, of course, you'd have that choice. Uh, comments, colleagues? I have a couple of quick questions. Um, what's the process for making a training mandatory for city employees? Um, we're not generally engaging with that, other than uh, there is a currently mandated training that we are going to be uh, redeveloping. It hasn't been, um, it's been kind of put together as, as a group effort over the last decade or so, but we're gonna do a full rehash of that mandatory one. Um, departments are, in our conversations, happily making this internally internal mandate. So, for example, a common one is behest of payments. That's not relevant to every staffer, but there is there are staff um, in every department who that is relevant to. Uh, that's a common one that they're saying, yes, we're going to assign this to people. It's going to go into the city's SF learning program. It'll be a required thing for them to take there. Uh, and our team is working with the controller's office to manage that system. Um, so we're not doing anything across the board at this point, saying yes, we're saying everyone would need to make this mandated, but that's a department by department decision. So any particular ethics training, it's up to the department whether that's mandatory for that agency's uh, employees? Mm -hmm. um, we, 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 we share our opinion on what we would recommend, and so far I would say every conversation has been exceedingly accommodating. There's been no pushback. There have been frustrations about what some of these laws mean or how they've been interpreted by staff or you know, stress or confusion. But at the end of every conversation, people are saying, yeah, this, that's probably a good thing for us to assign to people. Right. So it sounds like it's not an issue. But I'm curious if some department said, no, we don't feel like we need training on whatever. We have no mechanism to say, mm -hmm. no, you have to. Um, and that may be a hypothetical. It's day. something we haven't really explored, and we wanted to, again, this, this is a proactive program, um, and so our hope is that we want to we wanna start with buy-in. If we start seeing patterns, uh, that would be something we would include as far as potential next steps that we would look at. Hey, we're consistently seeing departments reject something that seems really important, or people in positions, I didn't want to give a hypothetical to suggest there is a problem. Uh, that would be something we would report and talk about a strategy for handling it. Um, if it came up, but so far it hasn't really come up. Any department can decline to have this program, and that will be reflected when we do our reporting, uh, what department, as we just did, what departments are saying, yes, please do this, and what departments uh, decline to make such a plan. Got it, and then one last related question. Please. I think you noted at the outset that for non-city folks, not everyone may know that there's a law that governs whatever they're doing, like in campaigns, for example. Mm -hmm. Is there a mechanism that those folks, maybe their committee treasurers, are getting, are they required to do some kind of training to mm -hmm. be in the position they're in? Mm -hmm. So there are trainings uh, for treasurers uh, and expectations for people to uh, accept them. And things at work, uh, the, at work being the, the operative uh, issue here, this is primarily for internal city audiences uh, and those interactions with city employees. That said, we are, everything we are making is designed to work if you are a member of the public. 
uh, or maybe uh, uh, somebody who's interested in becoming a, a commissioner or interested in applying to a job, right? There's, there's a wide range of audiences. We want the content to be relevant and interesting to people, even if they're not actually a city employee. Um, along those lines, we are uh, working on maintaining our social media accounts, publishing videos um, online, making these things available, working with SFGTV to put our content in between uh, the various episodes of commission meetings and hearings um, so that those things can be accessible to people. Uh, and we do dabble in some things that involve um, you know, if you're seeking a permit, what do you need to know about gifts, right? And that's relevant for both the city staff as well as the members of the public. Got it. Great. Well, thank you for your presentation. My pleasure. Thank you very much for the presentation. I have a couple of questions. Please. Um, um, even though your primary audience is the uh, city government family, uh, for that, I, I think that you know, to follow up on Commissioner Sfinnaf's comment on whether you can compel different departments to participate, even though you currently don't have that mm -hmm. mandate, but through your other reporting, like, you know, I would envision a annual scorecard, mm -hmm. you know, and what you've done by including those folks who are participating, Definitely. it would really show that, you know, these are the folks who are really engaging and whoever's left out, mm -hmm. you know, um, they could really, you know, step up in the following year. So I think that there are other creative ways to really compel different departments. And, and I do think that um, everybody would want their, their departments to know the latest rules. In terms of, setting your schedule because even though ethics is now uh, um, uh, full force, but you're still a very small department and there are a lot of departments that you have to reach out to. Mm -hmm. So have you set up a priority on reaching out to different departments? So for instance, we know behest payment is the mm -hmm. hottest you know, topic within the city family. Um, have you considered which department may be more prone to really get up to speed on these new rules so that you can reach out to them first so that you know your time can be spent strategically mm -hmm. instead of like just waiting for whoever wants to work with you? It's a great question and it's something we heavily considered early on uh, when I came on board, uh, uh, especially in, in extensive conversations with the previous executive director. Uh, we did consider looking at uh, the record of past um, issues that we maintain. Was there some pattern in departments that we should be prioritizing or should we be prioritizing based on certain subject areas? We ultimately went, um, we went in a different direction, which was to organize it by the size of department. And, and the reasons were um, several. One is other prioritization felt somewhat arbitrary, which is not how we wanted to approach it. The second reason was bigger departments typically means more staff or more contracting, right? There are some smaller departments uh, that primarily do grant making, um, but they still have large dollar amounts going through, right? There's still a lot of opportunity for challenges. Or again, they might just have a lot of staff. Um, and we thought it was important to get the most information out to the most people, which also means the most eyes. Many of our materials, particularly the ones that are position specific, for example, go into things about whistleblowing, uh, both protections and how to report complaints. Um, because we want as many people to know what those tools are and what their rights and protections look like. 
Um, and again, as we looked at it, the bigger departments do uh, a huge amount of contracts, businesses, grant making. They largely touched on the sort of things we would do had we prioritized by topic area anyway, and it just felt a lot cleaner to do it in this manner. Because I was surprised to see uh, public works in group two. Again, we're not discriminating against groups A or B, but given the the contracts, hmm. the permit approvals, and different things that could expose mm -hmm. any possibility of undue influence, um, I would say um, DPW and the mm -hmm. staff would want would welcome you mm -hmm. to share with them the latest, you know, gift rules, behest the payment rules, so that they could be better prepared. So that's why I was asking in terms of your your strategy in reaching out to you know different departments. Mm -hmm. Take that into consider. Please take that into consideration Absolutely. because um, you know they would welcome. And they have. Uh, we had a wonderful conversation with Public Works. They responded almost immediately when we reached out. And the difference between Group A and Group B was a matter of weeks. And our plan is to have our initial outreach to every department, basically this month at this point. The gap between Group A and Group B was, let's talk to the biggest departments first. And uh, part of it was checking ourselves, that we wanted to make sure that if we were, 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 were we missing the mark in how we even approach these conversations, right? So we did our first you know, 10 or so conversations in Group A um, and felt pretty confident that this system was going to work and was scalable to reach out to the rest of them. And so now it's going to group, you know, it's Group B and it's going to be kind of the rest from here on out going very quickly. Um, and so we're not talking about a period of um, not even months between uh, these different departments being reached out to. And it's fortunate, uh, I think only I think only two departments have requested anything unique to their department. Um, and in both cases, they were, they're, they're things we're going to repeat. So for example, we got a question about the, the specifics around accepting tickets to grantees events. And there are only a handful of departments who are in this sort of situation. It was a great point, And it's something we're going to make for that department. But it's going to be something we're going to use again. So um, writing the content is challenging. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to write things in ways that are nuanced and approachable and also not so much of a summary that doesn't say anything, um, which is a, a line we're trying to, to straddle. Uh, we want it to be substantive but still introductory when it's appropriate, for example. Um, but uh, it's not challenging to disseminate that information if there's a clear plan and bind from that department. So the, the, the work leading up to this time was to get that content largely developed. A lot of it is at this point. Um, but we're, we're confident that we're going to be able to hit, hit all these other departments very quickly going forward. And another question I have is, even though this is primarily um, focused on the city government family, mm -hmm. but the uh, larger mm -hmm. city uh, um, community uh, really needs to be uh, brought up to speak with all these um, ethical rules and, and, and procedures. Mm -hmm. uh, we've heard regularly from the nonprofit uh, city contracting, subcontracting communities that they're at a loss. They really didn't know, you know where things stand mm -hmm. with them and how they 
should interact with the city. So I think that uh, a part of your functions uh, would really need to include, um, uh, number one, reestablishing the relationship the commission has with the, uh, the city service community and also using this opportunity to really engage with them, uh, to really bring them into the, um, to the discussion because we have other initiatives that we really need them to, um, to uh, engage with us on. So uh, I would uh, suggest that you work with the folks who routinely come to our meetings, mm -hmm. the nonprofit leaders, and different community leaders. And the final thing I want to add is, uh, you you did mention that um, some of the materials will be in uh, different languages, mm -hmm. and I think that that's really important. Uh, I, I just want to add that uh, you mentioned the three languages, and I would add Vietnamese mm -hmm. as a key um, um, community mm -hmm. that need to really outreach to. So if you could include that mm -hmm. in your publications and your um, social media outreach. And Very well taken. And one final, final thing is the, the role of ethnic media is so key, mm -hmm. getting information to, yes. to especially the isolated communities who, who don't uh, participate in, in hearing uh, meetings such as these. So I would uh, strongly suggest that you outreach to the, um, to the ethnic media community, mm -hmm. uh, make a presentation. They would be gladly uh, mm -hmm. uh, write up what we've been doing and what these new rules are so that their members will be on top of um, uh, you know, all these new uh, requirements. So otherwise, great job and um, keep going. Well, thank you, Madam Chair. And uh, I, I couldn't agree more with the points, and we'll definitely follow up on those. Okay, great. Let's open up for public comment. Madam Chair, we have one caller in the queue. Please stand by. Welcome, caller. Your three minutes begins now. Great. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Excellent. David Villepel again. Um, so first of all, I wanted to publicly appreciate Peter Lauterborn, who is a real city success story. Uh, without going through his entire uh, history, I think we go back to when he served on the Youth Commission uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Anyway, um, Peter's just a great person and really understands um, public outreach and um, the way city government works. So he's the right person for this program. Anyway, the budget concerns I discussed earlier uh, very much include this program, which is greatly at risk at this time. Um, I just had a, a couple of uh, other thoughts. Uh, I, I appreciate the, the work that's been done so far. I hope there can be some focus on Proposition F, uh, retirees that come back to work for the city, uh, not to exceed 960 hours in any uh, fiscal year, uh, and how the various uh, ethics, uh, compliance and disclosure uh, uh, rules and restrictions uh, apply to them. I think there's a lot of ambiguity about that, whether uh, returning to work for the city uh, tolls uh, certain uh, post-employment uh, restrictions 
uh, or it doesn't, and uh, how gift rules and, and various other things apply to um, individuals that come back to work under uh, Proposition F. And I would encourage uh, uh, Peter to uh, work with uh, Mawuli over at uh, DHR uh, to uh, get a better handle on what information goes to uh, city employees um, and others uh, related to Proposition F. Uh, and then just finally, in terms of prioritizing uh, departments, um, I understand in the first pass it, it may have made sense to uh, prioritize from uh, largest to smallest, but in the uh, future, I would suggest doing uh, outreach uh, based on a risk management approach. So those uh, departments that have uh, more employees that are uh, subject to uh, work with contracts and uh, or have a history of, of violations or have come to the commission's attention, I think should be uh, prioritized uh, first compared to uh, smaller departments or those that have uh, less uh, risk. Um, so those are my uh, thoughts on ethics at work. But again, thank you for the presentation and thanks for listening. Yes. Um, thank you, Madam Chair, uh, through the chair. Uh, and thank you, Mr. Pelpel, for the kind words. Um, I, you know, I, to, to share again, uh, the, the points on retirees, that's wonderful. It hasn't come up yet, and that sounds something worthwhile. So we'll uh, pursue making that sort of inf uh, content. Um, again, on the prioritization, we actually got as far as making a met, uh, matrix of every department, contracting, grant making, um, the number, whether or not they had a commission uh, as part of their body, whether they were involved in elections or had elected members as part of their body, a whole bunch of risk factors. And um, it was a somewhat messy exercise because um, larger agencies inherently have large contracts. Even if it's a small percentage of their work, it's still a huge amount of their contract. And it was hard to weigh, for example, uh, you know, the real estate work of the airport compared to the grant making of the Arts Commission. When, you know, uh, how do you compare them in dollars? How do you compare them in staff time as a proportion of their work? Um, and so it is an exercise we attempted a number of times, and it ultimately ended up looking like the budget list anyway. Uh, so it's taken in very good spirit, the comments about that approach. It's something we deeply explored. Uh, so I just thought I'd go into a little bit more detail about why we didn't pursue that approach. Thank you. Uh, any other public comments? Madam Chair, there's no further callers in the queue. Okay, public comment is closed. Uh, thank you very much thank for you. the really excellent presentation. Good luck, and we look forward to another update in a couple of months. From My you. pleasure. Great. See you thank soon. You. Thank you. Uh, since no action is required for this item, let's go to item number 11 which is discussion and possible action on items for future meetings. Colleagues, do I entertain suggestions for future for discussion? Uh, yeah, just briefly, this is for Director Ford, I'm glad he's here. I know that the enforcement is thinking about developing expertise among the investigators in particular substantive areas. I think as you're all doing that, it would be a huge service to the public and to us as commissioners to create very targeted, specific, like 10 minute, 15 minute, almost trainings at the public meetings focused on a very specific issue as the investigators develop those expertise. So we're gonna have these kind of uh, in the weeds on very focused issues on a day that's relatively light uh, to help us kind of get in the weeds. And also by doing that process, we'll be creating public 
materials that are accessible for folks to, to get in there. So I'm just throwing that out there, not as an urgent matter, but in conjunction with the work that you're already doing. No need to <laughs> respond. Well, I, I would like to just uh, suggest that the Board of Supervisors will be holding a budget hearing um, later in this month, depending on what transpired. Um, hopefully, we will have the entire enforcement unit intact. Uh, otherwise, we may have another discussion on the enforcement unit. So let's hope for the best in, uh, uh, for a good outcome for the uh, budget for this commission. Anyway, um, any other suggestions? Yeah, just to continue the discussion around the budget, um, thank you, Chair, Chair Lee, for your statement on that issue. I think it was earlier this week. I thought it was a very powerful and important summary of the challenges faced. Um, I just want to take the opportunity to comment that um, given the significant work that the department staff has put into doing things like catching up on investigations, uh, clearing the backlog, performing audits, et cetera, in the past couple of years. It seems to me uh, that the proposed budget cuts, including potential reduction of staffing levels by 40%, would be an incredible setback. That's contrary to the public interest here. And what, one of my concerns is that um, have the funding coming through uh, other city entities that we regulate and are responsible for enforcing can create somewhat of a problematic structural dynamic. And one thing that I would uh, be interested in hearing from, maybe, and maybe this is properly directed at the city attorney's office, it doesn't necessarily have to be in the context of this meeting or future meeting, is whether the commission's authority under the charter to propose um, ballot propositions extends to um, self-funding mechanisms for the commission that would make our work possible independent of the budgeting process uh, through the mayor's office and the board of supervisors and the answer to that may very well be no but it is something that i was curious about maybe we're going to have a discussion after the the budget is uh finalized okay great any other if none let's open up for public comment on this item please madam chair we have no callers in the queue Okay, public comment is closed. Now is agenda item number 12. Additional opportunity for public comment on matters not appearing on the agenda pursuant to Ethics Commission bylaws, Article 7, Section 2. Madam Chair, we have no callers in the queue. Okay, agenda item number 13 is adjournment. I want to thank our newest member, <laughs> uh, Commissioner Salahi, who made this the shortest meeting we've had for a long time. We <laughs> made it under one hour. So thank you. A happy weekend, everybody. Thank you, Chair.